Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Said Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak to industry experts about the changing landscape of marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Jane Osler, Global Head of Media, Insights Division of Kantar. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our guest today is Patrick Collister, who's non-exec creative director at AdLib and editor of Directory magazine. And he's one of the UK's foremost leading creative directors and has a really interesting background. So welcome, Patrick. You're one of the few people who've had really big, serious creative director roles in Adland at Ogilvy, for example, but as well as at a digital organization. You worked at Google. So tell us a bit about your career and how you think the market has changed. Well, Jane, when you and I worked together in the Ogle Void, Canary Wharf, Essex's leading agency, as we used to call it back in the day, I was the creative director of uh, an advertising agency. And then I got a new life as the creative director of a direct marketing agency, which I did for a couple of years. And I suppose that evolved into being hired as head of design at Google, which is hilarious. Because to be honest, I couldn't design my way out of a paper bag. I'm a copywriter by training. But I didn't tell them that anyway. I went to Google and I had five marvellous years. And then I'm now working for an ad tech company. It's not an agency. It's actually a software company called AdLib who are doing some really interesting things. So we were talking earlier about how advertising has changed. And actually, many of those changes you can see in my career development, you know, from uh, the TV commercials we were doing for Guinness back in the day, then back to CRM strategies and developing one-to-one relationships with customers. And then at Google, of course, being on the mothership, Um, watching the digital revolution as it wrought havoc, really, with advertising as we used to know it, and now being able to look at what more technology is doing to make advertising, I hope, effective and less ghastly. So what is it that's going on in advertising? You read quite a lot of the press and there's quite a lot of nostalgia in there about, you know, what ad used to be like and, you know, what happened in the 90s and the 80s. What is it that you think is going on? Is the digital advertising industry missing a trick somewhere? I don't think it's missing a trick. I think the problem is the opposite. It's There are too many damn tricks. And I think one of the key things is that over the last 15 years, 
all of the tech development has actually been in media, in media delivery. And so programmatic really has taken over. And the, and the big problem, I think, for that is that there's now a super abundance of advertising. In fact, there's so much of it that the last time I had any statistics about this, three quarters of a billion devices had ad blockers installed. So one of the problems about programmatic is that actually the advertising getting sprayed out across the internet is awful. It is really bad advertising. And I think that is a real issue. And so when people pine for the old days, first of all, there was a lot less advertising in the old days. But secondly, it was also of a particular nature, you know, little 30 second playlets with actors acting out stories around a product or a service. And all of that is now up for grabs, has changed as a result of social media as much as anything and the way people relate to each other, let alone to brands. So we do know from our research that, you know, people say that advertising is more prevalent than it has been. They see more advertising and it and it feels more intrusive. And to that extent, people are sort of slightly confused, I think, in some cases about the different formats and how they all work. And we know that some formats like pop-ups are intensely irritating to people. So there is a, almost a new thing that we need to consider here. It used to be there was creative and there was media, but now there's format, which kind of spans both things. So what do you think the difference is? How, how should creative directors and anyone involved in creating advertising think about formats? Oh, that's a huge one. And of course, when I was at Google, this is one of the things that we used to talk about, because a lot of ad agency creative directors are still writing TV commercials and then trying to slap those onto digital media. And of course, they don't work. You know, for starters, most creative directors are going to go out there and they're going to shoot a kind of landscape 16 by 9 frame they're often going to open on a wide shot and none of that works <laughs> any longer i try and remind creative directors that their lovingly produced ads are going to be watched on a screen that measures one and a half inches by one quite often and so an opening establishing shot you know the central character is this dot no one can see it the other thing is that making ads unskippable for example, I sometimes like to show people a really great commercial made by Mother for IKEA this time last year. And it, it opens on a lady sitting on her sofa and she gets a ping on her mobile phone and it says the relatives are coming. She looks around at the flat and it's absolutely down at heel and everything. And then different ornaments inside the flat begin to animate, saying it's time we had a makeover or the truth is, nothing happens for 10 seconds. Literally, she's sitting on the sofa. Every single person in the universe is skipped by that stage. And it's the same with so much TV advertising, the way it's written, the way it's structured. No one's going to watch it online. Let's talk then about what craft, advertising craft, might mean on some of the newer platforms and some of the portrait format platforms like Snapchat and TikTok. And our research does show that you know consumers do like advertising on those platforms because the advertising is very different. It, it is very creative in its own way. And also it's where more and more people are starting to spend more time. So obviously you have agencies creating ads for those platforms, but you also have other people like creators and influencers who are doing their own kind of creation on those platforms. 
So what does craft mean in that context? That's so interesting. I mean, TikTok, I love TikTok because basically TikTok is not home to the rubbish advertising commercial. It's just dead in the water from the start. You have to be fresh. You have to be interesting. And the thing about TikTok also is that it's not just influencers. Sometimes it's the zeitgeist. I mean, I remember not all that long ago, there was the guy on his longboard going to work. He'd had a really crap morning for ocean spray. And I mean, honestly, we're talking about billions now of media impressions, you know, because it helped that uh, he was singing along to a Fleetwood Mac song. And then uh, one of Fleetwood Mac imitated this, put up his own TikTok of him riding a longboard, singing his own song. I mean, wow, I forget how many billions, James. But I mean, this is not advertising as it used to be. This is advertising of the moment. In many ways, today's creativity is so exciting because it, you've got to be quick. You've got to respond. You know, in the old days, I'd get given a brief by Heinz or whoever it would be. Oh, our Ford were magnificent. Ford had a 49-week development process. 49 weeks. I mean, honestly, you know, in the world of TikTok and Snapchat, forget it. You've got to respond in 49 minutes. And don't you think things might have changed during this last year with the pandemic as well, that there's been a change in how ads are made? Even the things that used to take 49 weeks have compacted their timescales a lot since then, haven't they? Well, I wrote an article saying, uh, why are there no funny ads any longer? And, and it's really interesting because I looked at Cannes and in the whole of Cannes, in the 2020 and 2021 award shows that were compressed, there were three funny ads. One of them was for Geico, the insurance company. And that, interestingly, was the only 30-second commercial in their entire film category. So only three funny ads is kind of uh, very revealing. And I guess one of the reasons for that is brand purpose. A lot of brands think, oh, if we're purposeful, we need to be serious and we need to be authentic. And authenticity apparently is about being meaningful. So that's one reason. But I think another reason, actually, it's been pretty damn difficult to be funny over the last two years. And it is really interesting that there has been some research from those two guys, Tenzer and White, to suggest that actually people inside, especially creative people inside agencies, have been more demoralized and depressed in COVID than the rest of the population. So, I mean, as a creative person, as a writer or an art director, you just can't write funny when you're trapped at home. And one of the things a lot of creative people have been saying about lockdown is that actually they've been under an awful lot of pressure and it hasn't been working from home. It's been sleeping at work. And certainly one of my neighbours is a creative director for a big agency and it's unrelenting. And of course, it's, it's mentally exhausting because you're on Zoom the whole time, which is, it's a completely different level of human intercourse. Yeah, so the normal, normal ability that one would have to go out and sort of get influences and get ideas from art or other forms of culture have been, I guess, rapidly taken away. I know everyone laughs about the water cooler, but honestly, Jane, it, it's really important, as Steve Jobs knew. I mean, if you remember the story, when he designed and had the Pixar building made, he insisted that the washrooms were all down on the ground floor so that people would have to encounter each other 
in this open space. And conversations would start and it worked. But actually, I mean, I think a couple of years later, they made him install toilets on some of the other floors. But So ironically, creativity, far from being an activity, was just sort of, you know, a couple of people sitting quietly in a room, you know, scribbling away, actually, it has social inspiration. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our research does show that humor is really important in advertising. We know that it makes advertising effective, but it's not used that many times. As you say, there are some advertising types which might need to be more serious, but you know, not all brands need to do purpose advertising. Not all brands need to take themselves seriously all the time. I so agree. I've read the, the Kantar piece about that, and I so completely, totally agree with it. I just hope that more marketing directors get to read that. I mean, what I like to talk about a bit is Geico in America. Geico is an insurance company. But I mean, Geico's got a YouTube channel. And Geico's YouTube channel has nearly 2 million subscribers. Now, there's nothing on this YouTube channel except adverts. So why are people going there? It's because they're funny. They're funny adverts. So in other words, people know what they're doing. They know that it's advertising, but they go there for a laugh. I mean, one of Geico's ads last year got shortlisted at Cannes, but it didn't even get a bronze. It's a hilarious ad, actually. It's called Infestation of Ants. But anyway, it's had 28 million views. And what I find interesting about that is if you compare and contrast Geico's YouTube channel with, say, for example, Patagonia. Now, Patagonia is a brand that's got purpose, absolutely a rod of iron all the way through it. And in total number of views, Patagonia has is substantially less. And I think there is also an argument to be made that on some of the social platforms, humour can be shown in different ways. It can be the disjunction between what people are saying and the music in the background or some clever editing, a before and after technique that's often used. You know, it doesn't just have to be gags or one-liners or even a funny story. It can be a sort of a different kind of exposition of humour, which actually is quite exciting territory, I would have thought, for creative directors. I think so. I mean, as a creative director, I used to try and discourage my people from writing gags because as a comedian once said to me, the only comedian in the world who can really do a good gag is Jackie Gleason. And John Cleese also once said to me that uh, the secret of comedy was character, character, character. Once you've got the characters, you don't have to write jokes. You just get them to do things that you know are hilarious in the context of who they are. 
that also means creating long-term brand properties. And that's one of the big things, I think, affecting creativity today. I don't know whether you'd agree, Jane, but I mean, I think, and I've got no evidence to support this, but in the last two years, and COVID's exacerbated it, that CMOs have stopped looking for the big idea, the top of the funnel, big idea that then drip fed its way through middle funnel, lower funnel uh, communications and other agencies. And what they've noticed is that as a result of COVID, when their CEOs and CFOs have been saying, just give me sales, they've been looking at small ideas, lots and lots of small ideas, flocks of small ideas, because the brilliant thing about them especially in the digital space, is that they're measurable, quantifiable. And so you can stand in front of your CFO and say, look, we've done this and the effect has been this and it's measurable and we're right behind you, CJ. I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because there was, I think, a moment when there was a kind of shift towards performance advertising. And now the narrative is is changing. I think people are recognising that you need to build future demand as well as satisfy the current demand and actually getting the balance right between your brand and performance advertising strategies is actually the most crucial thing that a CMO can get right. As regards the big idea, I mean, I think the cascade of thinking is quite an interesting one. So when I was working in advertising agency, the first thing that was thought of was actually the TV ad, and that was the idea. And then everything else was a variant on it. So, you know, some lines that would go onto a poster or or whatever. But I think now that with the proliferation of agencies that CMOs need to deal with, actually, this, the brands themselves, they're the ones that have to take care of the idea and make sure that the integration and the and the customization for each platform, which we know is an effective way to do advertising, they need to create those threads and make sure they hang together because they're dealing with lots of specialist agencies who are doing their own thing. So that's also a big challenge, I think, today. I think that actually the, the role of the creative director now is in the wrong place. I think if you're a brand marketer, you have to be the creative director on your brand because you're the only person who understands the positioning and then how that positioning will affect all of your different communications. It's not so much having a big idea that you can then shovel out, but it's understanding what the big theme is and then how that gets interpreted totally differently in your PR strategy to your performance, to your SEO strategies. And of course, I don't think there are all that many brand managers who are confident in kind of making those sort of calls. And that's absolutely right. And some research that we've done across different kinds of consumer touch points shows that it's not just paid media that consumers pay attention to and can deliver brand equity. It's also earned media, whether it's PR or word of mouth recommendations, but also things like point of sale, shelf presence in stores and promotions and that kind of thing actually have a huge ability to drive brand equity as well. So you're you're right. Maybe there's a new theme here, which is that, yeah, the brand marketer is now the creative director. What do you think that means for working with agencies, though? Because obviously, different agencies specialise in different channels, there are different digital agencies who brands might work with for their influencer strategy or specialist out of home 3D digital out of home activity. Does that mean that they're the, the conductor of the orchestra still? Well, I think one of advertising's big problems is that they're rarely the conductor of the orchestra. And I think, as I say, 
these days. And, and partly that's to do with the fact that I think the big idea is in recession. And so what marketing directors, CMOs are looking for are, are people who are going to deliver measurable results wherever they come from. I mean, I think one of my analogies with advertising is a bit like climate change. We've all seen those incredible shots of the ice shelf collapsing. And each of those massive icebergs that then sets off into Greenland sand is a bit like different parts of Adland because there are now great big chunks representing, if you like, brand advertising. Now there are specialist agencies in branded content, which is a complete different, but then there are experts in social. And then, I mean, honestly, the whole area of influencer marketing. I mean, I, I did something recently for a company in which in 2021, over $5 billion is going to be paid to influencers for having endorsed a product or a brand somehow. And that is set to grow exponentially. And so that was a real wake-up call to me. A lot of marketers are pulling their money out of ad agencies and out of paid-for media, and they're going to audiences who are ready-made for them. Even if they're micro-influencers, if you've got a whole batch of those people together, then you're still reaching the numbers you want to reach. You're still able to manage frequency through them. And boy, does this seem to be effective. Yeah. And our research also shows that even if we're just asking marketers over the course of the coming year, what, what they plan to spend more on and what they plan to spend less on, it's actually a lot of the newer formats, including online video, but also things like influencer content and podcast advertising. So I think there is a sense that marketers are really hoping to invest more in some of these newer channels, but it also means that there's more to learn, right? They might make more mistakes at the start, but certainly influencer advertising is is growing up with intermediaries and agencies that handle that for you and can get the right influencer to be associated with your brand. So I think it's a really exciting time. What do you think the future holds, Patrick? Where's all this going? Is it data-driven creativity? It has to be. I'd like to quote Henry Ford here when he said, the future ain't what it used to be. And uh, I mean, anyone who predicts the future is um, either a charlatan or extremely (laughs) brave. I was an enemy of data. When I was in direct marketing, we were supposed to be data-driven. The data was completely meaningless. When I got to Google, honestly, I just became a data junkie because the insights that get thrown up are astonishing. The thing is that there's a completely new class of skilled professional, and I'm not sure there are that many of them, because the thing about big data is there's there's so much of it that it's really difficult to make out shapes and patterns within it. And you need people who can test a hypothesis against the data and or have the ability to see within it, as I say, these shapes and patterns, and then extrapolate those in a meaningful and creative way. Interesting that you've been talking about all of these new uh, fantastic opportunities, and I'm with you. It is a really exciting time. But there is still the big TV ad, the big tentpole moment, and I think nothing illustrates that better than Christmas. Christmas in the UK has become like our Super Bowl. You see that all of the news media are talking about uh, the big Christmas ads as news, which is... (laughs) Really, really fascinating. 
I've been having a look at a lot of this year's Christmas ads and it is just absolutely riveting. I, I have to say that if you look at YouTube, for example, what do you think the single most watched Christmas ad is? And I'm afraid this is a trick question, Jane, because Kantar have put together a list of the most effective Christmas ads, but and this isn't in your list. So it's for Smith's Toys. And what amazed me about it is that actually in the space of two weeks, it's had 17 million views. It's had 17 million views. And that tells me one thing. It tells me that kids watch a lot more YouTube than their parents do. But the other thing that was really interesting about it, again, this is my time at Google, is that it does a lot of things that Google say help ads become unskippable. And the first thing is how they start in the opening scene. First of all, then Google likes this. The logo is up there, slap the brand, smack in the middle of frame. Oh, I know who this is for. Then what we do is we dive down into a playground. We have some magic. There are four shots in the first six seconds. Bang! I've been scoring all of these Christmas ads in the AdLib platform. And what I mean by that is that for the last two years, I've been helping them create what I call Collibot, which is a digital creative director. So using data in order to be able to pass creative judgment. I mean, when you and I worked together in the Ogilvy days, I would say, I don't think that's very good. And because I was the creative director, everyone would say, that's not very good. Using data based on... I suppose, 15 years worth of Google data about images. What we've done is uh, create this bot that measures ads shot by shot against memorability and against aesthetics. And so looking at the Christmas ads, I mean, you can lose at least 20 seconds of that ad. It will be more compressed and it will be infinitely more successful the other thing about all of the ads, I wonder if, I mean, I would love to know if you compared ads against previous Christmas ads. So, I mean, the 1914 Sainsbury's ads had 28 million views on YouTube. The original John Lewis commercial with the kid. I mean, I'd love to see how uh, this year's batch compares with some of the greats. Because I think this year's batch, they're all so dark Every single one of them is gloomy. And that's another thing we used to say at Google. When you're looking at this on a mobile phone, on the tube or on the bus, you haven't got that projection of light. Yeah, I think some of the themes that we found this year, which do differ from, from previous years, were some of the ads and emphasis on you know being kind and kindness. We did see the emergence of, of humour again but sort of fun in a light-hearted way, a very gentle kind of humour, which I think is it's encouraging. Yeah. So all of this is, as I say, forensic creative judgment based on data. And that, for me, I guess, going back to what we were saying before, is the future. It's test and learn. And that all of those commercials could, could be re-edited overnight. And it would be really fascinating to see uh, then how they would perform better. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Said Business School. 
For all episodes and more information, visit Kantar.com or OxfordFutureOfMarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you never miss an episode.